I was looking around online and I found this quote right before I came tonight. It's R.C. Sproul and it's off of their website. And he says, a few years ago, a German scholar was doing research in New Testament literature and discovered that in the entire history of Judaism, in all existing books of the Old Testament and all existing books of the extra-biblical Jewish writings dating from the beginning of Judaism until the 10th century A.D. in Italy, there is not a single reference of a Jewish person addressing God directly in the first person as Father. There were appropriate forms of address that were used by Jewish people in the Old Testament, and the children were trained to address God in proper phrases of respect. All these titles were memorized, and the term Father was not among them. The first Jewish rabbi to call God Father directly was Jesus of Nazareth. It is a radical departure from tradition, and in fact, in every recorded prayer we have from the lips of Jesus, save one, he calls God Father. And from that quote, you can probably imagine what I'm going to talk about tonight. I looked in the Baker Evangel- Evangelic- Baker's Evangelic- <laughs> Evangelical Dictionary, <clears throat> and they confirmed this in the sense that first person uh, is not used to directly address him as father. He is spoken of as father in the Old Testament about 15 times. And it's, you know, God is the father of Israel. I will be a father to David, you know, that kind of thing. But no one ever does say he is their father. Um, It's interesting, though, because the frequency dramatically changes when you get to the New Testament. Over a hundred times in the Gospel of John alone, he is spoken of as the father. The passage I'm going to read tonight is out of 1 John, and in 1 John it's 13 times that I counted. I think you probably could make a case that there are a few more if you don't use the word actually father, but him, speaking about him. Um, But at least 13 that are right there on the surface. 13 in two pages, three pages of a book in the New Testament, and 15 in the entire Old Testament scriptures. J.I. Packer, and I'm reading a bunch of quotes here at the beginning, and I'm not going to read any more. He says, you sum up the whole New Testament religion, if you describe it, as the knowledge of God as one's Holy Father. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his Father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. That's from Knowing God by J.R. Packer. Let's pray and we'll get started. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. And Lord, you know the, the need of our hearts tonight. You know, Father what I have thought to say, but I pray, Lord, that you would take my lips and that you would say what you would like me to say. Father, we, we open your word knowing that your word will not return to you void. And thanking you, Father, that you've given us your spirit, that we might understand what we read 
and that he might apply it to our hearts. Father, help us to draw near tonight. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I would like to say I didn't have a lot of time to prepare. I had several weeks to prepare, but I didn't. And then today I was just busy, and so I I may be a little scattered, so you'll have to forgive me if I am. I want to read to you out of 1 John chapter 2, uh, beginning at verse 12. John says, I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write unto you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because you have known the Father. I have written unto you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you, young men, because ye are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and ye have overcome the wicked one. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. First John is an interesting book. It's, it's a book that I would really think would be hard to preach through verse by verse. Um, I'm not saying you shouldn't exposit it, but going verse by verse through this book I think would be difficult because there are threads that run through the whole book. We talked about one last week with the in the beginning and we went through all the different things. The phrase the father is one of those. And if you look at um, the book, he starts off and I mentioned before, 13 times he refers to God as the Father. You start off in chapter 1 and he says, For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us. So right off the bat, he brings the Father in. And then again in verse 3, he says, Truly our fellowship is with the Father, and with his Son, Jesus Christ. You jump down to chapter 2. In verse 1, or, you know, verse 1, he says, And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So the Father is the center even there. Even though Christ is the advocate, the idea is that the fellowship is with the Father. And we need an advocate to bring us back to the Father. You jump over, you follow that again, and you come over to the next chapter, and, I'm sorry, in the same chapter, next column on the page, um, Verse 13, where we just are now, he deals with the Father twice. In that, does he there? Let's see. Yes, he does, uh, once there. And then you jump down to, let me just look here real quick. Yeah, 224. Let that therefore abide in you which you have heard from the beginning. If that which you have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, you shall continue in the Son and in the Father. And then in verse John 3, Chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 1, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. And then finally, uh, 4.14, And we have seen and do testify that the Father 
sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. And so we have this emphasis. He's, he's pointing us back continually to the Father. The emphasis is on being brought back to the Father and having fellowship with the Father. Uh, that the work of Christ was to be an advocate with the Father. John tells us when he writes this book why he wrote this book. And I, I can remember, I, I may have mentioned this to you maybe the last time we, not last week, but the last time I actually opened up First John, I heard a man preach on First John for, I can't remember how many sermons before he got out of the first few verses. And it was all to try to convince you that you were not a child of God. It was just like a, a bludgeon of these are the tests of a Christian and this is what you have to be. And it was just a, it was, it was completely contrary to what John said he wrote the book for. He tells us that your joy may be full in chapter 1, verse 4. He tells us that he wrote it, these things write I unto you in chapter 2, verse 1, that ye sin not. In John chapter 2, verses 21, he says, I have not written, I have not written unto you. Because you know not the truth, but because you know it. So he wrote it because they knew the truth. Verse 226, he says, These things I have written unto you concerning them that seduce you. And the, and the seduction there was a division of the Father and the Son. And he says, If you have the Son, you have the Father. And so his, this, he was saying, I'm written unto you to, to clear that up. In 513, he says, These things I have written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. And so this is a very positive book. Uh, most of the time, at least that I've heard in, in re reform circles, it's used in a negative way to convince people maybe that they're lost, not that they're saved. Um, but if you read it, look at those again, he's saying it was so that your joy may be full, that you would not sin, because you do know the truth, and that you might know that you have eternal life, and to encourage you to believe on the name of the Son of God. So it's a very positive letter. It's a very encouraging letter. And he starts right off and he says that your joy may be full. <clears throat> and so I say all that just to introduce this passage. And he, in this particular section, gives us a few more reasons why he says he's writing. And he writes to three groups of people. He says, little children, fathers, young men. Now, I don't believe that he's talking to the church and saying, okay, the little children and the, the old people and the middle-aged people. He's using these as a metaphor, if you will, of different types or different places in the Christian life. You have those who are like little children who may not understand as much. You have those who do understand and are fighting. They're out doing the battle. And then you have the aged fathers who are mature. And so he says, I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write unto you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because ye have overcome the wicked one. He does it twice. And I've puzzled over that for many years. Why does he do this twice? Why does he say it again? 
He says, I, I'm, I'm writing this unto you. And then he says, I have written it unto you. And so he's like, he's doubling down on this, this progression, I think, of the Christian life. We start out as young children. We progress into this, this, the young man. And then we become fathers. We become those who are mature. Now, I think it's important. And the reason I think it's important, and I'm only really going to talk about one of them tonight, and that's the little children. Um, but I'm going to go through them all real quick just to kind of tell you what I'm thinking as far as why I think it's a progression. He, he mentions little children. He says, your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake the first time. The second time he says, you have known the father. The, old, the young men, he says, you have overcome the wicked one the first time. And the second time he adds to that and he says, you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. And for fathers... He says the exact same thing both times. You've known him who's from the beginning. And if you remember last week, or wherever, how many weeks ago it was, that from the beginning is the very beginning. And so what he's saying is, when we come to God in the very, the very infancy of our faith, we come to a father and our sins are forgiven. And that is the foundation upon which everything else in this passage happens. Because it's from that foundation of acceptance. It's from that foundation of peace. It's from that foundation of, of a, almost a complacency in, 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 the, in the presence of God. Knowing that my sins are gone. And that this God, who is the eternal one, is my father. I can then go and do battle. I can then fight against the world, the flesh, and the devil, and I can overcome because there's no fear. There's, no, there's nothing that's going to hold me back. And so when you get to the young man, he says, you have overcome the wicked one. You are strong, and the word of God abides in you. And that's the way in which he fights. He fights based upon the word of God. It is in his heart. It is in his soul. And he's going forward in the consciousness that God is his father, that his sins are forgiven. And as he overcomes, as he fights, he begins to see more of who God is. He begins to see more of that, that one who is sitting upon the circle of the earth, the one who created the stars with his fingers, the one who is the almighty Yahweh, God, the eternal one. And I think that that's, it's, it's one of those things that as we do that, and as we get a hold of that, and as we understand that, um, we really do, um, we really do know something that we cannot know any other way. If you think back in Isaiah, he says, um, I, that will, let's see. In perfect peace, yeah, that will keep them in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed upon thee. Why? Because he trusts in thee. And as I was going through all of this this week, and you know, I, I kept coming back to this, this, this thought that I just don't know what to do. I'm not sure how to handle this. The thought kept occurring to me. Uh, you know, John, James, 
when he says, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. And it really, it struck me what that patience was. It's not patience like, oh, I'm just going to grit my teeth and get through this. That's kind of the way we often look at it. But when you know that God is working all things together for the good of his people, when you know that that which you've committed unto him, he will not lose. He will keep it until the day of Jesus Christ. He will, he will complete the work that is in you. He's working in you. He has a desire for you. It gives you that peace to be patient in the trial. And I think that's what we see in this passage. We see the child, as it were, coming to that place and saying, he's my father. And growing out of that and being able to be patient in the tribulation, fight the fight, as it were. And in doing that, the Lord reveals to him more of himself throughout all of that. And if you go to, if you go to Romans where you know, he expands that, he says, it's the love of God that shall abide in your heart. And you know him, you know him, who was from the beginning. I think it is the love of God that holds us in the battle. And I've, you know, you hear people say things like, you know, you can put too much emphasis on this. I don't think you can. I don't think you can ever overemphasize the love of the Father for his people. It's not to say that he's not righteous. It's not to say that he's not holy. He is holy. It, it's, a, it's a love that is holy. It is a love that is righteous. But it is a love that is unquenchable. It is a love that is irresistible. It is a love that is not based upon anything we've done. In fact, and I would go so far as to say this, it is a love that is not based upon anything Christ did for us. And I think that's important to grasp as well. It was not that Jesus bought the Father's love for his people. We were at enmity with him. There was a breach between us and the Father. But he still loved us. And we've got to get a hold of that. We've got to see that. Because if we don't see that at the outset, it will cripple us as we go along the way. Because as soon as we do sin, as soon as we do something that is not right, as soon as we sin, we're going to start thinking, oh, I've got to somehow get back into that love. We don't. Because the love was eternal. The love was unconditional. The fellowship was broken. And there had to be a propitiation for us to be brought back into fellowship with the Father. But the Father loved us. And he sent his Son for that purpose, to bring us back. <clears throat> If you look at John, yeah, it's, it's amazing to me how much he speaks of the love of God. It's amazing to me. Um, but the Father's love was what sent the Son. And I mentioned that. John 16 says, I came forth from the Father and am come into the world again. I leave the world and go to the Father. I came forth from the Father. The Father sent him. 14. I'm sorry, 4.14 says, And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. 
<clears throat> Jesus saith unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. And then Galatians 1 says, Who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world, according to the will of God and our Father. So, John 3.16, right? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. It wasn't the Son was given so that God would love the world. He loved the world and he sent his Son. It was the love of the Father that sent the Spirit. And this is something I think we don't think about enough. If you think about the New Covenant, what was the promise of the New Covenant? That we would have the Spirit. That we would have a new heart. That his law would be written upon our hearts. That, that the Spirit would come. Acts 1, verse 4. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, you have heard of me. So Jesus said, wait for the promise of the Father, which was the Holy Spirit. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, this is Acts chapter 2, verse 33, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has shed forth this which ye now see and hear. James chapter 1, verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. And that good gift is the Holy Spirit. Luke reminds us that if we know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more will our Heavenly Father give the Spirit to those who ask Him? And in Galatians 4, God sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And He says, it's because you are sons. Second Thessalonians, now our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and has given us an everlasting consolation and good hope, through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good word and work. And then Romans 8. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And then finally on this, the Father, in his great love, has promised us a kingdom. Luke in Luke, Jesus says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And then Matthew 13, Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father, who hath ears to hear, let him hear. And then Revelation 14, 1, And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion, and with him an hundred and forty-four thousand, having his Father's name, written in bare foreheads. Our Father loves us. And it is in the relationship that we have to the Father that we find the strength to go forward in the Christian life. If we go wrong there, if we go wrong there, we go wrong. We just go wrong. We have to know that He loves us. We have to know that our sins are forgiven and that that relationship has been restored. And the reason I bring it up 
is like I said before, it is that thing that gives us the strength to go forward. It is the hope that we have. And it is, it is, um, lost my train of thought. Yeah, I, no, it was, it was the, um, must not have been important. The Father's love. You know, that is, that is the focus that we need to have. Oh, I know it was. Uh, the Lord, in, his, in, the, in the Lord's Prayer. You know, he starts off and he says, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We can go no further in any of the petitions in that prayer if we do not get our Father. Because if we don't know him as our Father, how can we ever think we could ask him to send his kingdom? It would be terrifying to us. How could we say to him, Thy will be done? if we don't know that he loves us. And that's where we come to when we're struggling with our sin, when we're struggling with temptation, when we're struggling with the decision that we have to make that we don't know what the right answer is to. And what happens to us, if you think, if you, and I'm almost done, if you think about the, um, you know, Christ, when the, when the disciples were saying, who's the greatest and all this, he pulls a child up and he says, unless you become like a little child and you humble yourself, Humble like a little child. Well, you stop and think about a little child for a minute. They don't worry. I mean, I got up the other morning and Jetty came out. And he was just excited about life. I mean, it was just he just had gotten out of bed and the day was in front of him. And I said, what, you know, are you excited about today? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And said, what are you going to do? I don't know. Something. You know, I mean, it was just, it was just, he was just, there was no worry there. I mean, he was just, he was charging into the day. And I thought, you know, I need to be that way. And I asked myself, why am I not? Well, because I know things he doesn't know, <laughs> right? I mean, we get the picture. We, we've been knocked down. We've been run over. But if we know that our God, who is, who, who is eternal, who is all-knowing, who is all-powerful, if we know that this God is our Father and he loves us and he sent his Son, if he's, you know, if he's given us his Son, how will he not with him freely give us all things. And so what I'm trying to say tonight in a very roundabout kind of way is we need to we need to camp there. We need to become these little children whose sins are forgiven and who know the Father. If we're ever going to progress in the Christian life, that's where we start. That's where we start. If we go out and start to fight the battles in our own strength, we're going to get knocked down. If we go out and think that we're going to be able to do this without having that settled in our hearts first, we will make no progress. Our Christian life will be a drudgery. It will, be a, it will just be a, a grind because it will just be continually questioning, continually doubting, continually in turmoil. But as soon as we settle that, we have peace and we have strength. We have God. We have the one. He is our portion. And so as we go to prayer tonight, let's go to our Father. And let's bring our petitions to one who cares deeply for us. And cares deeply for the ones we will pray for. Brother Richard, will you begin?